We're going to be parking in Genesis chapter 1 for a while. And by the way, um, there's a lot of things going on in church. You ladies, there's Tuesday Bible study, Tuesday morning. For those of you who can't make it Tuesday morning, there's Thursday night Bible study. And then for those of you who can't make it Thursday night, and those of you who bring your children, and instead of going home, there's Wednesday night Bible study as well for you ladies. And then there's men's Bible study, right? Thursday night here at the church. So men, just a reminder, come and fellowship. And Kevin is leading that Bible study. Speaking of Kevin, do continue to pray for Jackie as well. So remember her in prayer. And then in April the 20th, there's going to be a pastor's fellowship conference here at the church from 9.30 to 12 o'clock. We're providing lunch and refreshment to pastors and their wife coming in from Maryland, Delaware, and Virginia. I don't know how many are coming, but that's in preparation here at the church. And you're invited, by the way, to that fellowship and for luncheon. You'll hear more about that later on. Then Mother's Day, we have something very special for you this year. A Mother's Day concert, the whole service, no preaching, just the whole service, and then a special Mother's Day presentation. So that's for mothers. You know, to believe in evolution, to believe that it all came together in one big bang without God to create, to observe or to direct, is about the equivalent to believing that there was an explosion in a print factory. And it was destroyed in one big ball of fire. And out of that big bang was the creation of Webster Dictionary. Many evolutionists used to say, there are chances. Chances. One mathematician said, it's 1 over 10 with 43 zeros. That was the chance, but it did happen. And I hear people saying, couldn't chance do it? No, chance can't do it. Not a chance. Chance had never done anything, never created anything, never produced anything. People totally misunderstand chance. Chance had gotten all kinds of publicity that it never, never deserves. Not a chance, not a chance. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, because this is really the basis for science and basis for observation and study of science. Many people think Christianity itself opened the door to a whole scientific enterprise. Understand also that when God, when God created, he must have had a lot of fun doing it. For example, in Psalms 33, verse 6, it says this, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and the host of them by the breath of his mouth. That's in Psalms 33, verse 6. So when God decided to create, he decided to go public. Psalms 19, verses 1 through 2, it says, Heaven declares what the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork handiwork. Well, notice with me Genesis chapter 1. It starts with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's talk about the earth briefly. What little I know, because it's so deep. 
You know, if you're driving your car through the barren desert of Texas, you can appreciate this if you ever drove through Texas. Let's say from Houston to El Paso. That's a long, long drive. Trust me. It's a long drive. From Houston to El Paso, and you're driving through the barren desert of Texas highway. Miles and miles of nothing but tumbleweeds flying by you, and you see objects whizzing by you as you're driving 75. In some areas in the state of Texas, it's 80 miles an hour legally. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And as you look out the window, you see objects whizzing by you. My dear friends, sitting where you're sitting right at this moment, in calmness, I hope, we are actually rotating around the sun 66,000 miles per hour without us getting dizzy. That's incredible. And the Earth is rotating around the sun 595 million miles every single year. And the scientist knows exactly that to be 365 days, 6 hours, 9 minutes, and 9 seconds. That, in addition to that, you know that the world is spinning like a baseball being thrown. The ball is going 90 miles an hour, but the ball is spinning while it's, while it's, while it's going. And we're doing that about a thousand, the Earth is spinning about a thousand miles an hour, revolving on its axle. The Earth is, and that's every 23 hours, so many minutes, and so many seconds. Now, we're told, and we learned this in school, that the Earth tilts in the relationship to the sun at an angle of 23.5 degrees. And it is because of that we get all of our seasons. Notice what the scripture says in verse 4, 14, verse 14 of Genesis. Then God says, let there be light in the expanse of heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, the seasons, for days and years. Verse 15, and let them be for light in the expanse of heaven to give light on the earth, and it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater lights, notice, to rule the day, and the lesser light, notice, to rule the night. And he made the stars also. We'll get back to that statement in a moment. Paul Davy. Paul Davy in the book, Are We Alone? That's really the title of the book, Paul Davy. Are we alone? Said it clearly. He says, many people claim to believe that the origin of life requires a divine act. But if life on earth were not unique, the case for miraculous origin of life would be undermined. You see, that's why they're so insistent that surely if life happened by chance on planet here, then it could happen by chance somewhere else in the universe. But here's the problem. Problem is not just any planet will do. Not any sun or moon will do either. As we know, moon is the Earth companion. The moon enjoys its journey around the sun because it follows us all the time. Wherever the Earth goes, there's the moon. Next to the Earth, the moon is like a tennis ball. In comparison to a basketball, the moon is much, much smaller. Two forces continually balance it. You have gravity. And the gravity wants to pull the moon towards us so it would crash against the Earth. But it's kept from doing that by its centrifugal force as it continued to travel around the Earth. And yet, 
As a result of that centrifugal force and gravity working together, the moon always does its dance along with the Earth and stay as it orbits around the sun in a very, very predictable pattern. By the way, when's the last time you thanked God for Jupiter? I didn't know this till the other day. I haven't thanked God for Jupiter, have you? But I will now. Astronomer tells us that Jupiter is the largest planet in our solar system. Do you know what Jupiter does for us? Because it's huge gravity. It's much, much larger than the Earth. It spins with a great deal of power and force. So some scientists believe because of its tremendous gravity, comets would hit the Earth or pull off by Jupiter's gravity. So I say, Lord, I've never done this, but thank you for Jupiter. What about the sun? The Earth volume would fit into the sun about a million times. It's 400 times further away than the moon. Of course, 93 million miles and light hustles here at 186,000 miles a second. And it only takes, at that distance, it takes eight minutes for the light to come to Earth from the sun. That itself is incredible. And light come from its layer of 300 miles thick, 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. If it was closer, we would burn up. If it was further away, we would freeze. And aren't you glad the sun is not like other stars, constantly fading in and out and in and out. They glow for a while, then over a period of 200 days, they begin to disappear, and then they begin to come back. But not the sun. How would you like it if you woke up one morning and the major news report around the world is this big headline news that says, the sun is fading away day by day. It keeps fading away. And guess what would happen to this earth? Of course, we'd be frozen unimaginable, right? And nobody can do a thing about that. And yet the sun is there every single day, even on the days you can't see it. I don't enjoy flying, but if I have a choice to fly, which I've done often, I would have to fly, I would love to fly on a stormy day. I mean, it is just dark and stormy and ugly grayish, you know the kind of day I'm talking about, those kind of days. It's grayish. Got rain or snowstorm here on the earth. And then you get on that plane and the plane takes off and it levels off by 30,000 feet above the earth surface. And you're above the clouds. And then you look down and it's breathtaking and you see the sun. It's there. It's there. Of course, this happened by chance, right? Not by chance at all. So the sun, the moon, the earth, they do this dance in a consistent pattern. And they do it with such an accuracy that scientists can predict with accuracy the exact date, the exact moment of an eclipse. What does the Bible says in the book of Isaiah? I love this book. Book of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26. It says this, who have created all these things? 
Who brings out their hosts by numbers? He calls them all by names. By the greatness of his might and strength of his power, not one is missing. Not one. What this verse is saying is, God, you put all this together. Going back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 16, notice what verse 16 says. And then God made two great lights, the sun to rule the days, the moon to rule the night, and he made the stars also. Let's talk about the stars. This is almost amusing to me when it says in the last part of verse 16. You notice in the part here, then God made two great lights, the sun to rule the day and the moon to rule the night, and there's a period. And then it says, and he made the stars also. I was reading this to Dorothy the other day over a cup of coffee, and we both chuckled like we were having fun just discussing this passage. It's almost like, yeah, I think I'll make some stars. <laughs> it's almost like God was saying, I'll just toss some stars. No big deal, but I'll just make some stars. What about the stars? Well, if you remember in your high school lesson, science class, we learned in, in school that sun is a star. But next closest star is 250,000 times further away than the sun. It takes light four years to get here, hustling at 186,000 miles a second. By the way, I believe God created those stars shining. It was in a process. Because you see, when God created Adam, you wouldn't say, oh, Adam, you're exactly one hour old. No, Adam was created full grown. No potty training. He was created full grown. When you look at the trees in the Garden of Eden, you wouldn't say, you know, that tree uh, strikes me as one hour old. No, God created full grown. Now, I believe all the flowers that bloom in the Garden of Eden, God just created it blooming. Don't you? Uh, that should solve the problem, which came first, chicken or the egg. He may have created the whole universe for man, and he speed up the process, which they said it takes a billions and billions and billions and billions of years. God spoke the word, and it just happened. And it was made inhabitable. And lo and behold, the stars are already shining. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What do the scientists say? Well, Robert Gastro, he's a Christian. And he says this, quite humorously. For scientists live by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad, bad, bad dream. Then he goes on to say, he has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak on earth, and as he pulls himself over the final rock, after all these years of searching for answers, he's tired and he's weary and he, pull, and he pulls up and out of breath and there on top he's greeted by a band of theologians who's been sitting there for centuries sipping hot coffee. Hi, welcome, join us. 
Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In that simple opening statement of the Bible, we have the foundation for all of science. Just look at it with me. In the beginning, that would be time. God, that would be personality. Created, that would be force. God created. He spoke. There it was. All those laws and precisions which the stars and the planet moves. Heaven, that would be space. What lies beyond the 17 billion light years? They said they have no idea. It could go on for another 17 billion years. All we know from our standpoint, there is no end to it. No end. And that we are the only creature. Imagine this. That we're the only creature in the entire universe of cosmos. That all this happened by chance? Not a chance. Not a chance. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That earth, that would be matter. And there you have all the elements of what comprises science. The question is, what gods most likely to have been the creator of all these things? With their precisions and their accuracy. Well, first of all, we know that he has to be a god with a tremendous power. Because the universe is an effect, which must be caused by much greater cause. God is greater than the universe he created. He would not create something that was bigger than himself. That would make sense, would it? But when you begin to think of the multitude of stars, they tell us that there are more stars. Can you imagine this? They tell us there are more stars in the sky than there are grain of sands in the beaches of the world. That's mind-boggling. When you think of this mind-boggling number and immensity of distance, and God is still beyond that, what a powerful God we have. I love this verse in Isaiah. Isaiah 40, verse 26, it goes like this. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who bring their host by numbers? He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one fail or not one missing. Think about that. But secondly, as a God like that has to be independent of the universe. He has to be the cause of his own existence. Out of nothing, nothing comes. And then somebody asked this question, which I hear occasionally. He said, well, if out of nothing, nothing comes, are you ready for this question? How did God produce himself? Haven't you heard that before? Well, God didn't produce himself. Out of nothing, nothing comes. There is a verse in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 through 14. This is a great verse. Exodus 3, verse 13 through 14. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, Moses was faced with this issue. Moses was concerned that when he go back to Egypt, as God commanded him to, when he go back to Egypt, he says to the children of Israel, the God of your father has sent me to you. And then they say to me, well, what is his name? And then Moses asked God, when they ask me those questions, what shall I say to them? Notice, 
And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's all you need to say. I am who I am. Scripture says in Psalms 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or even thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. There was no beginning, and as a result of that, he is independent of the universe. You see, unless we can come to an uncaused cause, we will never have the base upon which anything could possibly exist. Because out of nothing, nothing comes. Now, the God of the Bible is independent of the universe. He existed before he created the universe. Quite often, when you tell them that God was always there, the next question they ask sarcastically is this. And you've heard the question, I'm sure. Are you ready for the next question that people often ask? And that is, what was God doing before he created the universe? Well, John Calvin in the 15th century somewhat sarcastically said, and evidently he was bombarded with that kind of a question, and John Calvin says back in 15th century sarcastically, he was creating hell for people who asked such a question. Now, we know that's not biblical, and John Calvin certainly know that from all his great in-depth writing, but I thought that was quite funny. God has not chosen to reveal to us what he was doing before he created the universe. Let us be glad he did create the universe. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. We were known to God before the creation of the world. The Bible said so. So we are not strangers to God. We are known and loved by God before the foundation of the world. That's a great doctrine. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. According as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. So it can't be pantheistic God where Eastern religions and many in the U.S. have been converted into pantheistic belief. What pantheistic belief where they said, nature is God. Mother Earth, nature is God. Well, I'm sorry, nature isn't God. Nature could not have produced nature. We have a personal God. That's the kind of God we have, not nature. Now here's a miracle. The God who spoke, and it was created. The one who said, let there be light, and there was light. The one who, one afternoon, by the word of his mouth, he simply spoke, and he made the stars also. That God, the Bible says, is the very God who not only knows us and longed to know us, but he actually dwells, and this is incredible, that God who created the cosmos. That God, the Bible says, dwell among us. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him dwell all the fullness of the Godhead. I believe very deeply the Bible is the word of God. If the Bible is not the word of God, then we have no hope of figuring out any kind of an ultimate questions. None. We can figure out little trivial questions, but nothing ultimate. 
Because unless God tells us what he's like, unless he tells us what he's up to, he remain a great mystery. He still is a mystery, even though he has spoken to us in language we can understand. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 tells us, and you may want to look this up or write it somewhere. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 tells us, listen carefully. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. Folks, don't ignore the Old Testament. You'd be amazed what it says about God and to us in the Old Testament. In fact, during this series, I've given a lot of thought. And I share this with Dorothy. I says, maybe after this series, we'll do a whole study in the book of Old Testament each Sunday, book by book, giving you a bird's eye view of what each book contains. It'll be interesting. Lord willing, we might do that. Don't ignore the Old Testament. There's great stuff there about God. Here's the, here the text says, this God, in Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, this God. And I'm saying to myself, wait a minute, is this the same God that is at the end of the universe, assuming that there's some kind of an end? Is this the same God who is billions and billions and billions of light years away, who created the stars that are billions and billions of light years away? And is this the same God? And so he is transcended, he's out there, but He's also right here. Is this the same God? He dwells not only with his people, but within his people. And he regenerates his people. Listen. The very same created act by which God created the world, the universe, the cosmos, is the same God who has to do work in you and in me. My Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what does it say? He is a new what? Creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is something within you that was not in you before. If you're truly born again, you will know. You will know. You don't have to second guess. You will know. I might not have been obedient, I certainly haven't, in all the things that God wanted me to do or say. And there are times there's that waywardness in me, but I tell you what, I know I'm saved, if someone asked me. You would know. The physical creation and the new creation of the heart, both are done by God without any human involvement. Now, someone may say, well, wait, just a minute. Kim, when I got saved, I helped God because I believe. Well, that's true, but he gave you the faith to believe. He gave you the faith to believe. But the eternal miracle within, the creation of the new nature, is only done by God because he's the only one who can do it, and he's the only one that's qualified. When God created the universe, especially the stars, I think God just threw himself a big party, don't you? 
He says, I'm just going to show them what I can do. And look at Psalms 19, verse 1 and 2. One of my favorite verses, and many of you have memorized it, Psalms 19, verse 1 and 2. I think God just threw a party. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speeches, and night unto night reveals knowledge. Whoa. You can get really excited about that. And all the regions of the world, no matter where you are, you can bask in the wonder and the glory of God. And the awesome, that's one of those few times you can use the word awesome. And the awesome, unbelievable power of God. You have seen this at time, haven't you? I know you have. When you walk out at night, the street lights, there's none. There's no street lights. And you look up in the sky, it's just one of those nights, you've seen it. And you look up and it's just filled with stars. It's just filled with stars. And you, you're in the back porch, your back porch swing, and you have a hot tea or whatever you're drinking. I hope nothing's stronger than hot tea. Pepsi will be fine. And you look up at the sky and says, oh. It's just, it's, it's just, I mean, it's just, you've seen one of those kind of nights, haven't you? And you're just, it's so breathtaking. It's almost as if you can just reach out and touch them. Reminds me of that old song back in the 60s. Catch a falling stars and put it in your pocket. Save it for a rainy day. Remember that song? Every time I see a sky like that, I think of that song for some reason. Wow. And you look up and you gasp. And you say, you know, this is my father's world. He created all those stars. He's the one who's called Abba Father. And you know what the word Abba means in the Bible? Abba means Papa, Daddy. He did it. My Papa, my Daddy. He did it. Abba Father. And he didn't ask any brain trust to give him any kind of advice. My Papa, Abba Father, he did it all. So who's a man to question him? Who are you to question him? And so heavens declare the glory of God. Let me ask you a question. You can close your Bible. Let me ask you a question. Why do you live? That's a good question. Why do you live? You say, oh, for one purpose. So I can be happy in this life, have a good retirement job, so I can enjoy a little bit of what's remaining in my life, have children to keep human race keep going, and they bring us joy, and they get married, and they can be happy and give us grandchildren to remind us what it's like when we were rearing children, eventually, and die comfortably. That's why I live. Oh, really? Oh, my goodness. I hope that's not your answer. Let me tell you a true story. There was a pastor's meeting, like the one we're going to have here on April the 20th at 9.30 in the morning. And you're invited, by the way, the pastors and their wife is going to be here at the church. And we're going to be providing lunch. 
And there was this pastor's meeting. At a pastor's fellowship, one of the pastors was telling a story of his own experience. He says, you know, middle of the night, a door bur- doorbell rang. He said, I had no idea who it might, it might be this time of the night. But as I was getting out of bed, I smelled smoke. And he said, I quickly woke up the family, and we all got out safely. And, and we stood some distance from the house and watched everything just go up in flame. I mean, it was just, it was gone. It was just like a ball of fire. And so I said to my son, 16-year-old, who had been well taught, I put my arms around my son and my wife, and I said to my son, son, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of man? And the story goes on as he asked his son, what's the purpose of man? And his son says, to know God and to know him forever. Then I said to my son and my wife as we stood there watching our house just go up in flame, all of us were in tears. And I said to my son and my wife, has anything changed? And my son replied, no, dad, nothing. That boy has been taught well. May you do the same with your children. You're diagnosed with disease. You're going through some personal crisis. Has anything changed? No, not really. You know, friends, when you have a house you live in for the glory of God, when that thing burns down, you still live for the glory of God. When you're diagnosed with illness and disease, you still live for the glory of God. Nothing has changed. And that's why we were created for his pleasure. Revelations chapter 4, verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. For your pleasure they are and were created. We're created for his pleasure. For the same reason why God spun the universe, they exist to declare his glory, the glory of God. Now the question is, what's God's greatest miracle? Listen carefully. What is God's greatest miracle? Is God's greatest miracle to spun the world and fling it out into the universe? Or is God's greatest miracle to save us? Isaiah 52 verse 10 tells us, The Lord has made bare his holy arm. The greatest miracle of God is to save us. That's his greatest miracle. You know why that is the greatest miracle? Because all of his attributes, all of his grace, all of his love, all of his mercy, all of his justice, and all of his truth would have to be involved to save us. 
That's his greatest miracle. And none of those were required when he created the universe, the cosmos. When God created the world, all he needed was omnipotent, his power. But when he saved us, love and truth and justice and mercy and grace all came together along with the power of God to come down to this earth and died on Calvary. That's his greatest miracle of all. Some of you might know the song. It took a miracle to put the stars in his place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. And isn't it wonderful, the same creator God, which the Bible speaks. And I read this and say, you know, the Bible is not a book on science. Sure, science have discovered many, many incredible and wonderful things that are not all mentioned in the Bible. But isn't it wonderful to know the God of the Bible is the foundation of the science. It's all here because he's the creator. And our responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ is to reveal the fact our Father did it all. And he did it so wondrously. Then after all that, after all that, God says, hey, Kim, I love you, buddy. And I want to fellowship with you. And when I said yes that night in Houston, Texas, when I was 18 years old, just like that, he came from billions and billions of light years away, just like that, when I say yes, he came. I might not have been the kind of a person that I should be, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, but I know one thing, when someone asks me if I know Christ, I wouldn't hesitate. Say so yes, I know him. In closing, let me read this to you. I've read this before. I don't know who the author is. I don't know how, where I got this from. I really don't. I don't know who to give it credit to, but I thought it's great, and I think I read this before. But it's a great way to end this message. And I want to thank you for coming, and God bless you. And I hope you continue to come. Question that is often asked is, where did God come from? Someone answer it like this. He came from nowhere. And the reason God came from nowhere is that there was nowhere for him to come from. Coming from nowhere, he stood on nothing. And the reason he had to stand on nothing is that there was nowhere for him to stand. And standing on nothing, he reached out where there was nowhere to reach and caught something there was nothing to catch. And hung something on nothing, and he told it to stay there. And standing on nothing, took the hammer of his own, own will, and he struck the anvil of his omnipotence, and spark flew there from and he caught them on the tip of his fingers and swung them out into space and decked the heavens with stars and no one said a word. And the reason no one said anything is that there wasn't anybody to say anything. And so God himself says, now that's very good. End of the quote. Father, we thank you. We don't even come close to understanding, not even close to understanding the wonder of your creation. Even some of the things I've shared, I, I don't even quite comprehend. 
But what we do understand, we're at all. We're at all. Oh, Lord, during these worship services we have here every Sunday when we gather together, may it just draw us as close to you as just the beginning of a new week that our lives have been inspired and we've been challenged. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.